Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From Mansur's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge, we're Out to Lunch with editor of the Baton Rouge Business Report, Stephanie Regal. It's business, Baton Rouge style. Hi, I'm Stephanie Regal. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Louisiana faces so many challenges. One in five residents lives below the federal poverty level. Nearly half the population is considered working poor. Our health outcomes are among the worst in the nation, and so are our schools. How do we change policies to help everybody in the state? And what will it take to turn our school system around? With me today to discuss this is Ashley Shelton, founder, president, and CEO of the Power Coalition for Equity and Justice, a statewide 501c3 organization that uses a broad-based strategy of community organizing, issue advocacy, and civic action to give underserved populations a voice in the halls of power, especially around such issues as workers' rights, community health, and criminal justice reform. Ashley has led several nonprofit advocacy organizations over the years where she has made a significant impact on policy at the state and local level. She also served as executive vice president at the Louisiana Disaster Recovery Foundation, which was created to help improve the quality of life for all Louisianans after Hurricanes Katrina and Rita. Prior to that, Ashley served as director of grant making at the Baton Rouge Area Foundation, one of the most impactful organizations in the region. Ashley, it is such a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Well, Welcome I'm out to lunch. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. With me and Ashley at the table is Chris Meyer, CEO of New Schools for Baton Rouge, an organization that was created by the Baton Rouge Area Foundation more than a decade ago to help attract and grow the most successful nonprofit run public charter schools to Baton Rouge. In the years since, New Schools has helped attract two dozen high-performing charter schools that are on track to serve half of public school students in Baton Rouge. Under Chris's leadership, the organization has raised and deployed more than $70 million in its first two excellent funds and spurred more than $150 million in new school facility investments. Chris began his educational career at Teach for America, where he taught social studies at a public school in New Orleans. After Hurricane Katrina, Chris led over 200 students who had evacuated to a rural parish to achieve significant academic gains. More recently, he served as deputy superintendent of the Louisiana Recovery School District and also as a director of policy in the Louisiana Department of Education. Chris, it's wonderful to have you here with us today. Thanks for joining us on At the Lunch. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. And y'all, we're, we're here obviously in the wake of of Hurricane Ida, which has wreaked havoc on our state and and made worse all of those outcomes that I was mentioning in the introduction a moment ago. So I know we have a lot to talk about, but Ashley, sort of give us the big picture for people who don't really know about the Power Coalition. And you all sort of work behind the scenes advocating and bringing together a lot of nonprofit organizations. Yes, so the Power Coalition is a coalition of base building groups. And so whether it's, you know, Vote, who does a lot of criminal justice work, or Housing New Orleans, um, that does, you know, deep content knowledge around housing um, advocacy, we are anchored by groups that have that deep content knowledge. And then we work together to really understand, like, how can we create change? Um, And we do that in two ways. One is, you know, we work with directly impacted people so that we can come up with solutions that actually 
actually meet their needs. And then we build a policy agenda based on that. And that policy agenda, we move both at the local level, depending on whether it's New Orleans, Baton Rouge, Shreveport, other parts of the state, but we also move it at the state level as well. And so we are proud to say that this year we expanded voting rights when the rest of the country was going the other way. Um, we extended early voting for presidential elections, and we um, ended the practice of the three-minute rule in the, in the ballot box. And so now you have six minutes to wow. read these very long constitutional amendments that um, <laughs> <laughs> that you don't know if you vote yes, if you're voting no, or if you vote no, if you're voting yes. But you have time now to really um, kind of read through those and, and make uh, you know and make a, a good decision about what you want to vote for. And so Power Coalition really has been about engaging immigrant voters of color and bringing them back into um, you know the, the electoral process, the democratic process, and to for them to understand that their vote is their voice and power. And that's the only way we're going to make our state better. And things were going well. And then, and then Ida. <laughs> and now Chris, New Schools is working in the educational realm. And, and y'all specifically are trying to bring quality charter schools here. That's right. Um, you know, when we started 10 years ago, it really, um, uh, attending a great school was only for kind of the well-informed and the wealthy in our community. Uh, a, a lot of families that did not have access to, um, uh, whether it be transportation to, to get to a private school or the ability to write a check for a private school, the ability to test into a magnet school, they were largely stuck in underperforming uh, DNF rated schools. Over the last decade, though, uh, you know, I'm happy to report that we have now unprecedented choices in, in Baton Rouge. Um, we have expanded significantly the number of schools that families can access, uh, tuition-free schools. And most importantly, these schools that we've helped start over the last 10 years are showing the fastest growth academically for students anywhere in the city and across the state. And so we're really excited to see that, you know, as parents find out that they have choice of where they want their child to go to school, they're taking advantage of that in droves now. Wow. And um, how do you all attract schools here? I mean, what does it take to bring a charter quality quality charter organization to Baton Rouge? It's a lot of hustle. Um, you know, we, we weren't the only city that was trying to attract, I think, quality education. I think, you know, just as we do as parents, we fight for, you know, our own kids to have great schools. There's other cities and other leaders that are doing the same thing. And so uh, a lot of it was persistence. You know, we, over time, we, we went out and searched for the best schools anywhere in the country. Some were just down the river from us in New Orleans, and we've been excited to help some of those organizations expand here. But, but others, you know, come from tech. Texas or uh, New York or, or, or wherever. And so, you know, what, what we've done is, is really um, much like, you know, you might attract a, a great business opportunity or another nonprofit to the city or a great entrepreneur. Um, we've really thought about what are the conditions necessary to help great schools thrive. And that's what we focused on over the last 10 years. Uh, and we've shown a lot of success versus other cities in, in attracting these schools here. Fantastic. Okay, so we, we talk, you know, a lot, you mentioned access, and Ashley, I think about what you all do and, and trying to help, you know, underserved populations get access to policymakers or to, you know, the people that are making decisions. And so there's sort of that, that common thread there. This state has so many challenges, you know, and, and I feel like what we've been doing for the past 50, 100 years has not been working. <laughs> Things have not gotten appreciably better. Um, where do you sort of see things now in the wake of the storm? I mean, what are the immediate challenges and then the more long-term 
Yeah, I, you know, I think that um, I totally agree with you that I feel like we've been doing the same thing for, um, you know, since before we were all born and we keep expecting a different outcome and the outcome is not serve the people of Louisiana well and the data supports that. And I think that as, you know, as we are kind of, you know, a couple, you know, 10 days, 11 days off of Hurricane Ida, you know, I've, you know, I've done disaster recovery work. I've worked on multiple hurricanes. And I feel like part of what has happened is that we've not learned the lessons that, you know, that we keep kind of, do, again, doing the same thing, expecting a different result. And what I've offered, you know, um, you know, to folks is that one, you know, we've got to get money to the ground. We've got to center people. I think that when we do disaster recovery, you know, like there is always this, you know, this focus on business and I am, you know, I am fine with business being supported. Uh, we know that that is critical to the economy, but what we also understand and know is that, you know, there has to be people that are engaging in that economy. And if they are hurting and without the things that they need, then we're never going to get to a better place. And I think that, you know, we've had compounded, you know, kind of traumas. I mean, we've, you know, we, we, Two weeks before Ida, we had just experienced the most cases of COVID um, since the pandemic started. We just also had the largest amount of deaths since the pandemic started. And that was right before the hurricane hit. And so to have been, you know, dealing with the pandemic and its impacts and then followed by our hurricane, I think we're just in this moment where these, where we have to talk about how are we going to use federal aid and support both ARPA dollars as well as infrastructure money that's coming and the federal disaster money that's going to come. And how do we move that. I mean, because think about it, even with the ARPA dollars, we have $500 million in housing right now, only 67 million of it spent. And how do we figure out how to move this money? And I often tell, you know, folks like when it comes to business, we figure it out, right? Like we did PPP, <laughs> we moved that money, we got it out into communities and we saved businesses in our state. We need to do the same thing around housing. Folks are in dire need and we've got to really be able to think about how do you create PPP for housing? It's the same, you know, it's the same principle. And we also just, you know, just like those folks that didn't do all the right things with the PPP money, you can also hold people accountable for not doing the right things with the housing money. And we've seen it time and time again. And, and so, you know, for me, I think that we've got to just open up the process and really, you know, really invest in our people, trust our people um, and begin rebuilding um, to a point where people are whole and not just rebuilding to what can be sustainable. And I talk about, you know, people love to say how resilient we are here in Louisiana. And I be absolutely believe that we are resilient, beautiful people. But, you know, I remind people that resilience is short term. I'm not supposed to be resilient forever. You know, <laughs> like you're supposed to fix the things that force sustained forever, right right, right. exactly know. like you're supposed to fix the things that are forcing me to be resilient so that I can then go back to a normal state and I think that that's the the thing that we always miss is that how are we going to fix the things so that folks aren't living in a constant state of resilience um, which isn't sustainable right and and I know that in in terms of you know fixing things charter schools were one of the one of the solutions that really came to New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina when they sort of had a clean slate to work with and it was like the great sandbox of educational reform which I know has helped lead to, to what you all are doing now in Baton Rouge. Chris, what, I mean, do charter schools really work? I mean, New Orleans, things are better than they used to be. They're still not great. And, and what is it that makes charters more effective in educating kids than traditional public schools? Yeah, I think it's a lot of, actually what Ashley just said, incredibly well. I mean, th this concept of empowering those closest to the kids to meet their unique needs. We, we are not one size fits all. <laughs> you know, as, as individuals, we all have unique needs. And 
the the power in charter schools really is that they're they're one governed by nonprofits. So, and as we've seen in the in the you know aftermath of Ida, it's really been our local nonprofits, our churches, our community organizations that are able to meet the needs in their own community immediately. They can respond because they understand that community. Um, it puts resources closer to the educators that are in the classrooms with those kids. And ultimately, as, as Ashley said as well, I mean, you can hold these schools accountable. They ultimately have contracts that if they can't perform, if they can't attract students, then they are not open. And so I, we really loved, you know, that that sort of model as a construct that um, it really allows more choice, more decision making lo- closest to kids. And there's an accountability for that. And over time, what you've seen in, in places like New Orleans, which no one wants to replicate, right. <laughs> nobody wants that circumstance. Right. Uh, but but certainly I think the less and learned from New Orleans was that as you empowered these educators and you held them to high expectations, over time, performance would rise. Families would, for the first time ever, regardless of where they live or how much money is in their bank account, be able to pick a school that works for them. And it, that's been the remarkable, I think, transformation in New Orleans. And we're now seeing in Baton Rouge that families, when given choice, are taking advantage of it. And educators are taking advantage of choice, too. And that's one of the big parts of the story that has kind of gone untold is that for the first time ever, educators have enormous choice of where they work and how their own unique talents can be rewarded you know, financially and, and just in, in, in happiness in their job. And it seems like charters would be maybe a perfect system if there wasn't also a, a, a government, you know, traditional public school system that was competing with them for the dollars. And that's always sort of where the the rub comes in or the argument that, well, you're taking dollars away from the other public schools. What is the argument for for a system of choice. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I ultimately think we need a instead of one large school system, which which would be impossible to move overnight and respond to, to you know, 40,000 unique kid needs. I think we need a system of schools. You know, I think government's role is to make sure dollars are allocated fairly, uh, to make sure there's clear accountability. Um, but, but otherwise, they really should be hands-off in how schools are run. Let the educators run their own schools. And, and I think, um, you know, it, it's that tension that you're feeling in Baton Rouge. Now, fortunately, we're in a state where uh, resources follow students. So, you know, students are empowered, families are empowered to go choose a school that works for them. uh, And government's job is to make sure that those schools perform like they promise. And if they don't, we strongly encourage those schools to to be closed and not be an option anymore. But um, I think if government plays that role, instead of trying to manage, um, you know, 40,000 unique kids or try to manage across 100 different schools, I mean, it's impossible for one entity to make decisions uh, that would impact every one of those kids. Instead, I, I believe in this model of, of really empowering nonprofits closest to community and kids. Um, and, and I think that's, that's a direction I think we are moving in Baton Rouge. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Stephanie Regal. I'm talking to Chris Meyer of New Schools for Baton Rouge and Ashley Shelton of the Power Coalition. Well, and I want to understand more about how charters actually, what, what they do, at the, sort of at the granular level that's different. But Ashley, I want to get a little bit granular with you. How you mentioned the, the you know, successes y'all had in the session back in the summer, a million years ago it now seems like. But how did Power Coalition do it? How do you mobilize people, particularly in a legislature that's like two-thirds, very conservative Republican, that is, you know, going to be inherently opposed to a lot of the initiatives and, and policies that you all were pushing in your legislation. 
You know, I think for us, um, you know, it really has been about, you know, moving people to respond and deal with their legislators in district um, as well in as district. The, yes, as yeah. well as at the Capitol. And so, you know, we don't just wait till legislative session starts. I mean, we we are working with an arming community with data and information about their communities. You know, um, one of our, um, you know, anchoring members, the Louisiana Budget Project, they do, you know, these beautiful district profiles so that, you know, every legislator knows how many folks are on SNAP. Um, you know, a SNAP benefits, how many folks are receiving, you know, on Medicaid or Medicare, like how many folks, so that they have a real picture of like, who are, who are your constituents? And so when we then do our work, we can bring all that data to bear, right, in community with folks to be able to advocate for the kind of change that they want. And so, you know, and so, you know, when, when folks are fighting um, about any particular issue, I mean, we know that we, we had over 3,000 letters sent around the, um, the particular issue around, you know, trans youth and their ability to play sports. I mean, like 3,000 folks in our community responded directly to the governor and their legislators to say, like, these are our vulnerable youth and we need to protect them. Um, and so we use lots of tools. So we, I mean, we, you know, I can, ge- we use geofencing, digital ads, social media, um, you know, we've got organizers on our team that are working in communities across the state, um, helping people to articulate what it is that they want and need, um, and then bringing that in and, and turning that into policy um, that can then be moved at the legislature. And so, yes, you know, it's, um, you know, we've got some tough issues and we come up against, um, you know, some legislators that do not always agree with our point of view. But I do think that, you know, like that there is enough respect for their constituents that, you know, we're able to move the needle on things that really matter and so um and so i've been you know i've you know i've been i've been you know pleased with how much we've been able to move and so whether it's been criminal justice wins um you know through our partner vote or like i said you know environmental justice you know juvenile justice um housing whatever those wins are you know we've been able to actually sustain them and continue to move the needle so that we can make our state better and start to address those you know quality of life indicators that are very low in our state and you told me last year when we were we were talking about a related issue you know that when you can mobilize your people and get them to the capitol Mm -hmm. and the legislator can see them face to face right yes they're holding wearing a t-shirt or holding a sign that there's that level of accountability that you just Absolutely. It's hard to ignore. Even if they vote against you, they've looked you in the eye Yeah, <laughs> told no. you why. Absolutely. And I, I mean, and so here's the, you know, an interesting fact, and we do, a, we do a data sheet for this as well. You know, we made over 1.8 million contacts last year. So, wow. you know, so, and then I take that number and then I break it down by House and Senate District. And so I remind our legislators that it's like, hey, I talked to 6,325 people in your district, you know, <laughs> or I talked to 20,000 yeah. people in your district because I want them to understand that it's just like I have the capacity um, to actually reach and engage your constituents. And so at the end of the day, it's just like, who are you? How many did you talk to? How many are you actually engaging with? And so I think that that also gives us that uh, the ability to actually show the power instead of just like, you know, I, I'm. I'm a do-gooder and I mean well, but it's like, no, like I actually talked to your constituents and these are the things that are important to them. These are the issues that they've raised. And I didn't just come up with policy solutions or a policy agenda because I'm smart enough to think of, you know, things that need to be better in our state. No, this is what actually community said they wanted to be better. And so, um, and so, yeah, so we use lots of tools to, to help our legislators kind of understand the capacity and the reach that we have. Fantastic. And Chris, what are some of the tools that charter schools are able to use to really make a difference in in a child, say, who's grown up in intergenerational poverty, who may not have breakfast, who may not have a mom or a dad at home, right? I mean, 
kids that are so far behind the eight ball, and yet, so how how are they, you know, able to learn so much more effectively at a charter school? Yeah, and again, it, it's not that that uh, charter schools are necessarily a silver bullet because there are sometimes charter schools that, that don't perform well. We but we've focused on schools that had track records of success. Those are the ones we went out and and recruited just as hard as you would recruit a Fortune 500 company to come to Louisiana. We we felt like that's what our kids deserve. Um, and and some of the best, you know, it's 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 really around the flexibility and power they have. I mean, they have the ability to set their own schedule. They have the ability to pay their teachers more flexibly. I mean, if, if they feel like, you know, we, we have a lot of gaps in, in math and reading. If they feel like they find a great, you know, math teacher, they can pay that teacher six figures, um, uh, which our teachers deserve a lot more money than they're, they're certainly paid. Um, and, and so I think it's the flexibility, again, to meet the unique needs of those kids in that building, which if you're a, a district, a large kind of urban district, and you look across 50,000 kids, how do you make decisions that, you know, can affect the individual needs. You can't. And so what we see a lot of charters do is they extend the school year and school day. Uh, they add, you know, additional feeding. Uh, they're able to hire additional kind of flexible staff. A lot of times you'll see, you know, multiple teachers in every classroom because one may be a fully certified teacher, one may be a para. And they figured out because they don't have red tape or kind of arcane rules that are made over time for some reason at, you know, at one point in time maybe. But when you look back, you're like, why do we do things this way? That, that's often how people feel in big government systems. But those closest to the ground, I think, can be more nimble. And so we've seen a lot of success. Um, we've got schools of all shapes and types. Um, we've got schools that are specializing uh, for students with autism, like the Emerge School. Uh, we've got schools like Basis that are offering some of the highest curriculum anywhere in the country. I mean, they have schools internationally. Uh, and then you have schools uh, like Collegiate Academies, which was a successful school from New Orleans that only operates at the high school level. And so the ninth graders it gets are typically reading on about a fourth or fifth grade level when they get to collegiate as ninth graders. So the first question is, how did this child get here reading at that level? But the most important thing about collegiate in Baton Rouge is it is the highest growth school. It's showing the most growth for any students of any high school in the city. It's the only open enrollment school in the city that you don't have to test into that's not rated a D or an F. Wow. It's, it's, which is both promising and, right. and sad that, you know, we still have 15,000 kids in Baton Rouge yeah. that attend a D or F rated school. And, and that's what we want to see eliminated, you know, by whatever means possible. And, and our path to that is, is opening as many schools as families keep demanding. Mm-hmm. And is it possible we could see a system where they're all charters? I mean, do you think it would ever get to that point? I, I think I think we'll be a system where every school is a school of choice, and mm-hmm. every family feels like they can pick a school that's not rated underperforming. So you don't have to trade your values for quality. Um, and so, you know, I think in large part we've got you know a quarter of our kids in private schools, we've got close to a quarter of our kids that pick a magnet school and are able to navigate that process and test in when they're like three years old uh, and stay in that system. And and then I think you largely have had a neighborhood set of schools that um, have had disinvestment and have not you know succeeded. And so charters in many ways, I think, create this other option as well so that every family in Baton Rouge will feel like, okay, I can figure out what works for my family. And that's, that's, there's a lot of on the ground work with partners. Um, and, you know, Ashley and I talked about connecting on this so where we can begin to help inform families because all we care about is that a family understands they have choice, feels informed about that choice, and, and makes one that works for, for their child. Mm-hmm. And, and getting the message out is such a big part of the, 
big part of the challenge, you know, especially. But before we wrap up, because we're almost out of time, sadly, what is sort of on your short-term horizon now, Ashley and, and Chris, especially since we now have a, an even worse disaster than the pandemic to respond to immediately before the end of the year. Yeah, you know, so we have, uh, you know, we were in the heart of that doing vaccination work in partnership <laughs> with the state. And so um, and so we've just kind of shifted into relief and recovery mode. And so we've already pushed out over $150,000 to mutual aid groups across the state um, to the most, uh, you know, directly impacted areas. And then we are also, you know, doing food and, and goods and pushing things out um, to folks. But I think in the short term, you know, we've got an election. Um, I'm very grateful that the Secretary of State and the governor moved that election because we've got four constitutional amendments that are going to be really wow. critical for folks to weigh in on, yeah. with New Orleans being the only city that had anything other, uh, anything else on the ballot. So we've got to make sure that we um, we educate and move folks to um, vote in this election around these constitutional amendments. And then we've got redistricting coming up. And, you know, redistricting is one of the greatest points of power in our state. It determines whether or not you can elect a candidate of choice, you know, it determines, you know, whether or not you've got rep real representation, whether at the local level or in Congress. And so um, and so that's going to be happening in February. And so we're really gearing up to educate and engage as many folks as possible to be meeting with their legislators in district. Um, we're working with demographers and we've got, we've hired several redistricting fellows. And so we're excited about that work. And then the you know, the last thing I'll say is that we just released um, or, or doing a soft release because of the hurricane. Um, but we did a, a roadmap to recovery because we've recognize, you know, this is a brand new legislature. I mean, they've, they've only, you know, I mean, even though they've had multiple sessions because of, I mean, because it's Louisiana, but I mean, you know, like they, in 2019, you know, we turned over about two thirds of the legislature. Right. So this, this is a young group that hasn't had a lot of experience. And so we did a recovery roadmap that looks at the ARBA dollars and the opportunities, both at the municipal and the state level to make our state whole, right? Like that's the point, that's the point of per federal dollars. Um, and it's absolutely necessary that we think and use some imagination um, to be able to rebuild our cities and our states and so um, happy to um, to you know to share that report and push that out because we want to make sure that our cities aren't thinking of these dollars as just um, you know surplus funds sure. but dollars that are really going to be able to make people whole and rebuild our cities and Chris what about new schools yeah I mean it, uh, similarly I mean we're now in our third year of, of COVID impacting the pandemic impacting schools I mean you know our kids were already you know uh, among the furthest behind in the country and and this is just sort of been a double whammy now you add Ida and it, it's it's unprecedented what our kids are going through but but I think schools and educators and families are resilient and and we want to get to a place where they are excelling the good news is before the storm some of the schools that we've supported are the fastest growing for students anywhere uh, in the state and I, I think that's really remarkable from an achievement perspective um, we really want to focus on making sure that we continue to open more new school options to meet family needs uh, and that we can truly come out of this accelerating learning. I, I believe our kids are the smartest in the world. Uh, they can do it. We just, you know, have to open more opportunities. And I think events like this uh, open up the pathway for that to happen. So we're going to try to keep leaning forward. Well, Chris Meyer and Ashley Shelton, it has been such a pleasure to be with you both today. You all are inspirational in your passion and drive, and you're doing such important work for our city and our state. We're fortunate to have leaders like you in the community. Good luck moving forward in the weeks and months to come. We'll be following your progress. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining me on Out to Lunch. My guests today on Out to Lunch have been Ashley Shelton of the Power Coalition and Chris Meyer of New Schools for Baton Rouge. We edited this show to fit into the time slots here 
on WRKF. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about the Power Coalition and New Schools for Baton Rouge by listening to the Out to Lunch Baton Rouge podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch Baton Rouge podcast anywhere you get podcasts and on our website, it's batonrouge.la. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsbatonrouge.la and on our Out to Lunch Baton Rouge social media. Photos are taken by Eric Otts. You can find more of Eric's photos on Instagram at at acro, that's A-C-R-E-A-U-X. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsbatonrouge.la and WRKF 89.3 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Today's show was engineered by J.T. O'Neill. Our producer is Peter Raschuti, and our Baton Rouge business consultants are Charlie D'Agostino and Ann Edelman. I'm Stephanie Regal. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you around the table at Mansour's again next week for more business Baton Rouge style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch Baton Rouge is recorded live over lunch at Mansour's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge. Mansur's is open for lunch daily, 11 to 2, for dinner nightly, and for brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com.